but I'll just say I liked it. Next. Five minute podcast, love it. The end matter and the front matter will be the longest part of the podcast and the and the intro music. And then it's like, we liked it. Yes, no, thumbs up, thumbs down. See you next month. <laughs> That's the best podcast ever. Welcome to The Writer and the Critic, a monthly podcast devoted mostly to books, reviews, and whatever else takes our fancy. This is the first episode for 2024. I'm your host, Kirsten McDermott. With me is my co-host, Ian Mond. Hello, Ian. Hello, Kirsten. How are you <laughs> in this brand new year? A leap year? We get an extra day? Excellent. Excellent. I'm very good. Read some very good books. Already? Very happy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's already the beginning of February. Bloody hell. Yeah, I've read some classic novels that that are, that I didn't know were classic novels until I read them, and uh, they're you know very good. The Stone Age by Margaret Lawrence, terrific novel. Anyway, keep going. Yes. No, I was going to say I read um, this this month uh, after I finished the two podcast books. I re reread, I should say, but for the first time since I was a teenager, Displaced Person by Lee Harding. Ah, a yeah, book I've never it read. Was, it was um, it was. <laughs> fascinating reread yeah and it, it just because it's written first this is really really briefly it's written first person the narrator is a 17 year old boy in melbourne who has this displacement where he's kind of removed from reality but can still sort of see through a veil so to speak and um but the voice is like a middle-aged man <laughs> I'm reading it thinking there is just like how things have changed. There is no way you'd write what would now be a young adult uh, novel with this voice. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's just this is not, you know, and and like it was published, I think, in 1980. So I was almost a teenager then. I was definitely a teenager in the 80s. There's no way my friends and I did not speak like that. But then I think, but at the same time, you had books being published by authors like Judy Bloom, Betsy Byers, Robert Cormier, and their narrators or characters didn't speak like that. Do you think so? Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely not Judy Bloom or Betsy Byers. I used to read, like I inhaled those books as a preteen and teen and the characters were like us. But you see, I wonder, not to go off on a massive tangent here, but I wonder, because I, I said The Stone Angel before by Margaret Lawrence, and that's uh, about, uh, it's narrated by a 90-year-old uh, mm-hmm. woman, Hagar Shipley. Lawrence herself was in her 30s, and I wonder if it's easier to write older than it is. It must be. It's easier to write old, although she nails it. She, this, yeah. is, this is the most, I mean, you would think that Lawrence was 90 years old when she wrote it. <laughs> it's like brilliant. Um, but I, I do wonder if it's easier to write older than it is to write younger. I think, I think it Definitely is, especially younger. That will f- will feel contemporary to the to your audience who's reading it. Yeah, like the, the your younger audience who's reading it, because as we know, a lot of adults read read young adult fiction as well. Yeah, but no, it's just like the Lee Harding book. Is like I can't. Wow, really interesting concept. But you would never be able to publish that book um, in that voice today. It's a good book, though. It's an interesting book. Okay. I didn't like it as much as I remembered liking it when I was, I don't know, 16, 17, whatever, however old I was when I read it the first time. But it's a, it's a really interesting concept. Anyway, let us move on. Let us move on. So this month we are discussing a very tight pair of books, more tightly paired than um, our random selections usually are. So for those listeners who were with us at the end of last year, we are discussing The Haunting of Hill House by Shirley Jackson, which was published in 1959. And then the much more recent published last year, A Haunting on the Hill by Elizabeth Hand, which is billed as the first authorised, not retelling, but sequel, I guess. First authorised book set in the world of Hill House, in the house itself. To the degree... The Goodreads, did you know this, Kirsten? Um, it's it's to the de- to the degree that now uh, a haunting of Hill House is considered to be Hill House One. Oh, I've just so, seen so you know that. You, so you know what so that's what Goodreads does. Yes. It's, 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 oh, cons- they're not. They're not a series. <laughs> then, oh my god! Oh, that hurts my heart. I know, they're not I a know. series. <laughs> Stop oh, it, Goodreads. <laughs> 
god, that's a long time between drinks. It's I'm because it's authorized. I assume it's because it's authorized. I assume that. So they've just assumed, well, okay. It's still not as serious. <laughs> Jesus. And as we will discuss, it really isn't. Anyway. Uh, uh, um, but yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> so let's, well, we'll shelve the Elizabeth hand. Um, and we'll start with The Haunting of Hill House, which you hadn't read before, Ian. No, I'm terrible. I haven't read a lot of things, as people are discovering. I, I think most people haven't read most things, to be fair. No, no, but you, I have, like, major <laughs> – okay, I'm going to admit something right now. I have not read any Le Guin at all. I've read Omelas. <gasps> I've read Omelas, which is 900 words long. That is the longest Le Guin I've read. And I may have read, I've, I may have read one other short story. But we now have it. to end the podcast and resume after you've read Wizard of Earthsea. Like, clearly. Yes. So, 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 so this is the thing. I have Does Locust know this? I'm amazed you're allowed to review for this. They, Jonathan does know it. Jonathan's reaction was very similar. Um, I mean, I... until last to, to a couple of months ago, I hadn't read any M.R. James. So, I mean. I think that, like, this goes back to a core issue that we, we kind of talk around about or around many times on this podcast, there is so many books being published now, like so many books and so many good books that older books, especially books which might have been published bef- before we were you know, really of, of the reading age for those books or we just didn't get to them at the time they were out, it's, it's actually quite an effort to go back Firstly, to even like sort of think about having to read them, but also to fit them into your current life when you've got all these yeah. other newer books coming into you. So, um, and you know, some some books are just of their time, Robert Heinlein, and maybe aren't going to be rewarding a contemporary reader. I have excuses for why I haven't read these things, and they're very similar to what you've just said, but they are holes, and this is one of them. Yeah. I mean, there's an expectation as a big horror fan, as both of us are. I mean, you've read this uh, multiple times. No, I've I've read The Haunting of Hill House once. Okay. Um, I've read Shirley Jackson's other novel, We Have Always Lived in the Castle, several times, and okay. it. I've always thought that's the the book I preferred. Clearly, that's the book I felt compelled to go back and reread from time to time. I I remembered not not disliking the haunting of your house when i read it but going okay well that's that's fine but not feeling any need to go back to read it so i've only read it once which has the better probably... opening paragraph which is the better opening paragraph oh haunting phil house do you think so yes yes 100 I, I think it's look it's a cracker but we've always said the castle's <laughs> got a pretty bloody good opening paragraph oh no no it absolutely does but i think for the i think the haunting of hill house is just a better opening paragraph but you know your mileage may vary although you know almost everyone in the world seems to agree that yeah okay is possibly <laughs> the best opening in a book written in english ever <laughs> <laughs> right wing and left wing agree on that one so uh oh, i'm not speaking for the folks on the right yes no i know let um should I read it the opening yeah yeah, we should. If we, it's, we, if should we weren't, you can't do a podcast on this book and not read the opening paragraph. I know. I mean, I will say, although I had not read reread The Haunting of Hill House, um, I have reread the opening paragraph like maybe 50 times. And I've actually read the opening <laughs> paragraph multiple times. It's funny, I've heard it multiple times because any time someone, I heard it, there was a New York Times book, uh, podcast. On with they were interviewing, I think it was Victor Laval, and he just happened to mention Haunting of Hill House, and he just happened to do the whole opening paragraph off the top of his head because he reads almost, it once every five I can, minutes. I can almost do it off the top of my head, but I, I am going to read it just to okay, make sure. It. So this is for, for listeners who, who have not read or heard this before. This is almost by common consensus one of the best opening paragraphs in a novel written in English. This is the beginning to The Haunting of Hill House by Shirley Jackson. No live organism can continue for long to exist sanely under conditions of absolute reality. Even larks and katydids are supposed, by some, to dream. Hill House, not sane, stood by itself against its hills, holding darkness within. It had stood so for 80 years and might stand for 80 more. Within, walls continued upright, bricks met neatly, 
floors were firm, and doors were sensibly shut. Silence lay steadily against the wood and stone of Hill House, and whatever walked there walked alone. <laughs> it's just brilliant. <laughs> it's just so chills. Like I said, I must have read it 50 times. Chills. But not having reread the novel since the first time I read it, what I, I had forgotten was the beginning of the second chapter, which is almost as good. And I won't read the whole thing because it's about twice as long as that, but maybe I will read the whole thing. Just do it. Let me, re- let me read the opening of the second chapter of Hill House because I think this deserves almost as much you know, applause as the first one. So this is, you get through, and when I say second chapter, it's, it's actually quite a lengthy way through. All of the chapters are divided into sub-chapters. So it's, it's, you know, you get through all of the intro bit of the novel and then you get to this. No human eye can isolate the unhappy coincidence of line and place which suggests evil in the face of a house. And yet somehow a maniac juxtaposition, a badly turned angle, some chance meeting of roof and sky, turned Hill House into a place of despair, more frightening because the face of Hill House seemed awake with a watchfulness from the blank windows and a touch of glee in the eyebrow of a cornice. Almost any house, caught unexpectedly or at an odd angle, can turn a deeply humorous look on a watching person. Even a mischievous little chimney or a dormer like a dimple can catch up a beholder with a sense of fellowship. But a house arrogant and hating, never off guard, can only be evil. This house, which seemed somehow to have formed itself, flying together into its own powerful pattern under the hands of its builders, fitting itself into its own construction of lines and angles, reared its great head back against the sky without concession to humanity. It was a house without kindness, never meant to be lived in, not a fit place for people or for love or for hope. Exorcism cannot alter the countenance of a house. Hill House would stay as it was until it was destroyed. Just, yeah, it's right. It's, good. It, it is. It, it, it's longer. That's the only thing. But it's dropped the mic. Yeah. 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 It's just, <laughs> Shirley Jackson was an astonishingly good writer in, as as you've just heard, listeners, in both those examples, very simple prose, like in terms of the language, the vocabulary, very, very simple, simple sentence structures, and yet she just imbues it with so much emotion and dread dread and and whatever and mystery and enticement and you 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 know you've just been told this you still want to go through hill house it's like all right let me see what walks in hill house yeah like um yeah so so this book is quite rightly a a, a classic of gothic horror is it gothic horror because it's set in a house like the word gothic gets used a lot and I'm not having a crack at you. I'm just saying. Let's. Do we have to have a conversation All right, fine. about gothic again? No, fine. Move on. Sorry. Apologies. No, it, it is, but it's not because it's set in a house, although houses are often a, a feature of gothic horror. They don't have to be, but they're often a feature because of what a house represents. A house, as we've seen in those two examples, a house has an exterior, a house has an interior, and these yep. two things can be quite different. But, yeah, Jackson was inspired by um, a paper or, or a report or maybe it was in a book, I can't quite remember, but the, an account by some paranormal investigators, we would call them now, um, who went into a house and similar thing to what Shirley Jackson has represented in, in her novel, but I think a bit more maybe with less of the, <laughs> the Hill House, obviously. But she was inspired to to sort of write a book because what she saw in these reports were not, you know, the, the paranormal res, you know, report and the result and all of that sort of stuff, which I don't believe was that impressive, but all of the interpersonal yep. relationships and frictions and attachments that came through and that's what kind of got her going I guess in terms of writing a fiction based around this sort of conceit and it is and that's what that's what Hill House is it's even rereading it like it's it's almost debatable whether the house is actually haunted (laughs) almost not quite I think you do mostly because of what the narrator is saying how do we define haunted so I mean there are no ghostly it feels well, like the house is an yeah. entity. The house is a person. The house is an entity, exactly. 
yeah, the house is an entity in it in itself. So is it so the idea of something haunted, yeah. or is the house itself, as you know, Jackson says, just this evil, malevolent, hateful thing that ensnares people? So, so horrible things hap- have happened in the house, mm. but they but the house wasn't innocent. Those horrible things happened, and then they, it became haunted. The house, as that you see, you read in the second paragraph, was evil in its construction phase. It and was possibly its, built itself. Correct. So it is its own entity. <laughs> In always slightly misaligned, yeah. slightly at an odd angle, askew, and and so that's what, so I know it's it, it's it's considered one of the great haunted house novels. I debate whether it's actually if it's a haunted house <laughs> in the same in the way that we always think of haunted houses, it, whether there are ghosts. Correct. Or not. I mean, if if we take a lot of what happens in Jackson's novel at at face value, um, there is certainly things that are that are clearly manifestations. Like there's writing on the walls. Yeah. There's that amazing, famous, whose hand was I holding scene. Well, that is the, that is, by the way, one of the greatest moments <laughs> ever in horror <laughs> history. Uh, that wow, 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 wow. So unless you collapse it all into Eleanor's head, which it can't be, because some of these manifestations are witnessed by other members of the party who are living in Hill House. There, there are. No, I never. I, I, no, no. The manifestations, but the manifestations created by the house itself, and, and that the house has always been capable of. It's not. An, it's but not. In, that could be what ghosts are. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's like what's really interesting about Hill House is that it doesn't offer or even try to offer any explanation other than this vague. It makes a point of undermining. The house that. is evil. <laughs> the house is evil. That's that's all you need to know. The house is evil. Don't come here. We know you're going to come here, but don't come here. Yeah. But we know you are. Yeah, because you humans can't help yourself. Yeah. Um, so, so the the people who are in Jackson's haunting of Hill House is there's Doctor Montague, who's this um, tenured university professor who's interested in this paranormal from a scientific viewpoint. Anyway, so Doctor Montague has decided to come to Hill House because there's all these reports of the house and what happens in the house and what has happened in the house. And he wants to do a summer long investigation of the house and bring along people to help in this investigation and to help document what, what is happening. He's specifically picking two people because Luke, he, he doesn't have a choice he with Luke. Speci- no, no. He, he doesn't have a choice with Luke. He didn't pick the other two specifically, except in that he wrote two and it's the weirdest methodology. Can you no, imagine? No, he, he picked people that have something connected to them that's a bit odd. Yeah, but not two people. He sent out a lot of letters yeah, yeah, yeah. and a lot of but invitations he, but he, and only two people accepted. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. So it's not that he cherry-picked Eleanor and, and I think there was some cherry picking from my memory because I think he does disregard a few people. But anyway, that's he did. But he sent out like I can't remember the exact number, but there there were like a dozen okay. or more invitations sent out, and some came back unread, whether they address it moved or whatever. But it's a weird methodology. He's basically gone out and <laughs> invited people who he doesn't even know, yep. based on the fact that at some point in their lives there's been a news report or something that associates them with some sort of a paranormal or supernatural event so in Eleanor's case and Eleanor is arguably the the protagonist of the novel um she had some what we would think of as telekinetic activity in her younger life her and her sister there was a a a couple years of where there was this sort of activity in their home and then it sort of all just stopped and she well she said she'd almost forgotten about that by the time you know, decades later, Dr. Montague writes to her to say, hey, do you want to come and spend a summer in a haunted house? I mean, as I said, the weirdest methodology in choosing his research partners. And, but anyway. And Theodora's psychic or possibly. And Theodora is, yeah, allegedly. Allegedly, um, yeah. We don't see a lot of that in Well, well this is the thing. In her. Um, it's foreshadowed, but it doesn't, It it's not relevant in the end to the. no. Unless you argue that these people, unless you, well, I don't know, because because Luke goes through the same thing. So they're not all attuned to the house in a certain way that they're experiencing. Yeah, because Luke's only there because he's the heir to Hill House. Correct. And the owners want want, want someone representing them in the house for the summer. Yeah. These weird and, ghost people. And they all experience, around. and it's not like Eleanor and Theodora experience things that uh, Dr. Montague and Luke don't experience at all and just having a normal, a normal time at the house. They all have it. So it's... The psychic element or the telekinesis element or whatever is actually 
not relevant in the end. There, there could be an implied reading that I hadn't thought about, but I came across in a review um, this week. There could be an implied reading that be, because of Eleanor's history, maybe she's making this stuff happen in the house. Maybe this poltergeist telekinetic activity that, that happened in her younger childhood because of her current emotional stressful situation in her life she is make she is making no no I, so that's so i took but I, I, I don't i'm not sure i agree with that no, no, like i it, i i took the view that the house having reviewed all four of them itself has chosen has eleanor chosen eleanor and therefore yeah. expresses her guilt in its 100% yeah and that that to me is clear though i, I mean i don't think yeah. that's ambiguous so i don't think it's eleanor doing it i think it's the house so yeah i don't think it's eleanor doing it yeah but um but but it was interesting to see someone say that it's like i can yeah i can see if you want to make this you know completely not the house but i I, like from the opening paragraph this is not a normal house this is not a house you want to be in the the book is very clear that you are not meant to take this ambiguously this is the house the house is doing this whether it's as you say ian conventionally haunted by ghosts or spirits of the departed or, or however you want to define that or whether there is a just a deeper intrinsic well that's the point when mrs Mon- when mrs montague turns up which oh it's so funny oh, this is a funny book can i just say it this is, is a really a funny book i'd forgotten book. I, yeah. before mrs montague's appearance through- that goes through Jackson's entire oeuvre, really. She's she, wicked. She's got a wicked sense of humour. Wicked, dry, sardonic. Yeah. Just even the lottery, like the lottery, which is one of the darkest stories you'll ever read. You've read the lottery, Ian. No, I haven't. Oh, Ian. Oh. I know. I, I, I said that on Facebook. Seriously, we should stop the I podcast. Know. You should read it. We'll come back. No, no, no. I know. I know. Oh, my God. But then, if you know the story, of course, I know the, the story. Is a little bit lost in the, re- but it is it is an amazing story, and even in a story that's as dark as that, it's funny. Like throughout, there are these just this dry wit that runs through her writing. Correct. Well, what I was going to say about Mrs. A Montague, Mrs. Montague, though, was that she is the conventional. I'm going to do the Ouija board stuff and yes. all that, and and the house just ignores her. Just, just, so I don't care about you. Yeah, you, you're correct. You can fuck off. I've got my victim. Thank you very much. Piss off. Yeah. Um, you're just annoying. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm curious to know because I'm going to jump here a bit, but that Mrs. Montague thing really fascinates me. And mm. I was coming to you because you're the writer. Uh, okay. You've written, so two thirds of the novel, she's built, it is funny, we've said, but there's a lot of suspense built that she's built. Yeah. And you're getting the, the, the banging on the wall, the hand scene, all that. It's quite creepy. And then she brings in Arthur and Mrs. Montague. Who are a comedy couple. Now, Arthur, is is he having an affair with... Uh... I think the implication there is that... Because yes, there seems to be some cuckolding going on. entanglement there, yes. There's a bizarre cuckolding going on. And she's in... The, they, those two are in the last third. And mm. there's a comedy aspect to them. And you think, wow, are you just... Did you just put a pin in everything you've set up, Shirley Jackson? Or does this actually enhance what you've done? To me, it enhanced it. But wow, that's a that would have been a risky move to 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 bring. Yeah, I, I look. I, Shirley Jackson novels are their own thing. <laughs> Even I, I was very conscious as I'm as I'm reading and starting to read Hill House, like it is what we would kind of think about as maybe a very slow open um, and quite a lot of introductory matter before we even uh, can get i just say can the I just, there is an odd scene at the beginning that has in the cafe so when she knocks over the old woman and she drops all her past oh oh yeah that one too what, what what's that got to do with anything i mean i mean i genuinely thought that was going to have some reverberation <laughs> and it has it's it's all i think building i mean it's Eleanor's building eleanor up i know yeah. i know but is it does it is it i'm not criticizing it i, I just it's this sort of you're right so there's a shape there isn't a shape sometimes to what Jackson's doing here, that we recognise, which is sort of maybe thematic for the book. All of the that first <laughs> chapter is really building, like, what is going to happen, and it is building Eleanor's character, I think, so well. And I can't – I am amazed because, again, it's been so long since I'd read it, and I'm really, really glad because I came to this almost fresh. There was so much I didn't remember and also it was wonderful because I I love the the Mike Flanagan. So, very, so very I, loose I haven't adaptation. seen that either. I haven't it, seen it that is, either. It is incredibly loose. And when I first um, 
<laughs> I had to have two goes at it because I watched the first episode of it and I wasn't at home. I don't even remember where we were, but we, we anyway watched the first episode and I was so angry because <laughs> I'd heard it like it's coming. It's like, oh my God, that'll be amazing. And I watched the first episode and it is this, it, the series is not an adaptation of the Haunting Hill, Hill House. It is a riff on it I guess because you don't have the paranormal investigators you have a family Eleanor and Theodora their characters are sisters it's it's astonishing but when it opened it was the older brother who is one of the 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 main viewpoint characters we get in in the series although it cycles through all of the family members Um, he's written a book he's an author of these sort of true ghost stories type books and he's written a book about his growing up in hill house and what happened and it's called the haunting of hill house and it opens with that paragraph and was like how dare you how dare you take shirley jackson and give her work to a freaking male author and make it as stop i was so angry i went i'm not watching this this is fuck this is ridiculous and then i went and watched another i think the haunting of bly manor another bly manor correct and it's like, maybe I'll give the Horny Hill House a go. <laughs> and and I loved it. And rereading the book now, the amount of little things, um, Eleanor's Cup of Stars, like there's just so many things that have pulled in and repurposed, but they're clear, respectful nods to this novel. It's just, I really want to watch the miniseries again now. I've already seen it twice, but now I want to watch it again and see if I pick up other things. Have you seen, everyone told me to go see the 1960s film. The Haunting it is a really yeah. good film. The Haunting is really good. How how faithful is it to? Really faithful, really. Like, again, it's been a couple of decades since I've seen it, but um, I remember it being very faithful, unlike talk, The Haunting yeah. in the 90s, which no one ever needs to see, ever. Run, run I'll now. be honest, there's it's a part of me that wants to actually... Yeah, but there's a part of me that actually wants to see that. Yeah, it's terrible. It's such okay. a bad movie. It's not even a bad adaptation. It's a bad movie. It's it's just yeah. terrible. <laughs> Seriously, it's just a terrible so, movie. So, so, so we were going back, but going anyway, back to the point. The sh- yeah, okay, yes. Go. So the build up of Eleanor is like th- this is who this character is. So that meeting when she knocks over or bumps into bumps into this this yeah. older woman on the street and knocks over her a bag of oranges or something. Uh, it was groceries. groceries. She's holding groceries. Yeah, yeah. yeah and. Instead of just going, oh, you're really sorry, you know, and that's kind of the end of it. She she helps this woman. She wants to buy her more food. She's Correct, like, yeah. She's such an accommodating character. She's so easy to be, I guess, put upon um, and burdened. And her backstory, she's spent the last few years caring for her invalid mother who's since recently passed, um, and that's what she's done with her life and so she she doesn't really have a life that she's built for herself and she's a bit unmoored and I'm amazed absolutely amazed reading this that Shirley and this is spoilers but listeners you know we spoil things that <laughs> I had got the impression all the way until her actual reveal in the novel near the end that she did live on her own in a little flat somewhere but at the end, it, it turns out, well, no, she doesn't do that, what she's kind of told people. She's actually lived with her sister and and so many things made sense with that reveal. But it's like, how did Jackson do that? How did Jackson yeah. manage to hide that from a point of view character? And so, and it didn't feel like a cheat. She didn't, like, yeah. I, it's just amazing. It's just amazing. Like the the, the, the skill level on in the Haunting of Hill House is phenomenal. The way things are yeah. hidden and implied and, and leaving you to make the inferences, which are sometimes wrong. <laughs> it's very, very clever. I just, yeah, it's just that some of those odd scenes at the beginning, they didn't conform to what I came, what I've always come to expect this sort of book to do. And I've, and of course I had to realise, well, first off, this was written in 1959, yes. which is not relevant necessarily to what had come before and what comes after. But, but um, the, the the point is that the Jackson is doing her doing her doing own her thing. own thing. <laughs> this is she's not having a conversation with the haunting haunting haunted house novels of the past. Though she, she did in in researching this, like in pre sorry before she started writing this as part of her preparation, she did go back and read. She she said she went back to oh, read okay. a I'm whole wrong bunch because she said you can't write a haunted house book 
or a ghost story. I think she called it. A, they can't write a ghost story unless you're familiar with ghost stories. So I she did. Prob- she did do a bit of. Writing. Okay, I think you probably could, but but okay. You, you can, but gonna, like. But- I'm not going to argue with Shirley Jackson. Um, but uh, the, but then, but okay, so she did. Yeah. And then, then decided to then decided to create her own shape. And there are these <laughs> scenes that that I see as odd and ill-fitting, and and that includes Mrs. Montague and Arthur, but actually are just part of this world that she's created. And actually, add all of it adds together in a way that you just don't see how it could, but it does, which make which is a terrible way of expressing that. What I think no Mrs. Montague and Arthur do and do really well as a as a tool, I guess is you're right, like there's so much oppressive atmosphere and everything built up and what there can be in some of these types of stories is there can be quite the danger in building and building and building and then you get to the climax and it's like, oh, is that it? Yeah. Is that it? And it takes a really skilled author or filmmaker or what have you to to manage that build-up and deliver a climax that is not just, oh, is that it? And I think one of the things, um, and I, obviously I don't know what Shirley Jackson's intention was, but one of the things that Mrs. Montague and Arthur does is you've got this massive, massive build-up and they come in and they do, they, they are kind of like the pin popping the balloon, but what they do is they usher in this bit of comedy and safety. There's a lot of yep. safety around them and it kind of feels like this is the book wrapping up it's like okay so they're coming in they're the the earth wires they're gonna you know make the house safe because they don't you know they believe but they don't believe in the right thing (laughs) what they're doing is you know not gonna and so then the 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 real ending of hill house and what actually happens with eleanor kind of does come out of the blue because you're lulled into this false sense of security that maybe you know it, it isn't going where you thought it was going and then you have the ending, which I won't spoil for readers who haven't read it because it is a uh, genuine surprise. And I hadn't remembered the ending. <laughs> it was yeah, like, well, oh, I, I hadn't read the book. So for me, it was a, it was a shock. Yeah, um, it is a so, shock. And again, the fact that she gets away with that because uh, just bring it. So can I just briefly mention, um, that was that's a good theory too, about that, what those two do. So thank you. It, Answering I mean, for, my for question. Me, three like, minutes after I asked. reader for me, it is, it is what they kind of do. So... so Talking about the characters, our four characters, just quickly. Um, that we don't get much of an we get their interior thoughts, but we but apart from the opening chapter where we're told about them, like there's this chunk about Luke. He's a thief, he's a bit yeah. of a cad, he's this. But you don't really get much of what you get in contemporary fiction today, that sort of flashback as to who they were. Ex- Eleanor, you do a little bit. Yeah, Eleanor's a, fleshed out a lot. And Theo lot. enough, I think. Because well, I think Theo I, is I maintain Eleanor is the protagonist of this book. She's well, I think she is. I, I, I agree. Right? You have agree. lots of attention devoted to all the characters and Theo gets quite a bit, but because Eleanor is the protagonist and she is fascinated slash in love with Theo, Theo as a character needs to maintain that kind of mystique, which is part of what attracts Eleanor to her. Yeah, but, but the point I was going to make is is that Luke and Dr. Montague as well, they, they feel fully fleshed out even though yeah. they aren't really fully fleshed out, but I feel like I know them. I feel like they're, they're and they're, they're, they're not just fleshed out. Well, well, it's in their talk. It's in, okay. So Luke. So the, the way I perceive Luke in the beginning is that he's going to be a bit of an asshole, a douche for the whole book. Which, he's going to which be like, he is. No, he's not. He actually <laughs> isn't. He's actually quite nice. Yes, Theo. Uh, they, there's a friction, a tension between them a bit from time, and that in itself like could he's also not be cruel. But he's a bit of a but, douche. <laughs> I, I, no, I actually think he's quite self-deprecating. I mean, I don't think he is. I genuinely, I genuinely liked Luke, I, it, it, as in he seemed to be self-aware enough to know that, you know, he's being dumped here, that no one seems to really, the family seems to give much of a care of him. Yeah. And he's not, but he's not cruel to Eleanor and Theodora or even the, the doctor. And, he, and he's not cruel to the experiment. No, he's no, really, he's not cruel. No. His douchery is very minimal. Yeah. In, in my, it, again, I'm reading this in contemporary, if, I, if this book is written today with those characters, Luke is an arsehole from, he's a, from beginning to end, and I didn't. That's not how he was. He was actually no. quite, quite nice. Look, there's really only room for one asshole, like one genuine asshole in any book, and that's the house. Yeah, that's the house. <laughs> yeah, but that's going to take me to the next book. So we'll we'll, we'll, we'll stop there for a moment. We won't yeah. go there. 
but you're right. And that's, that is exactly my point because Dr. Montague was just this lovable. I mean, the, what I love, I love is him going to bed and reading um, these old fusty books, which I went and checked by the way. Um, a couple of which I, I think I've, I've read the authors of, but just the way that they put him to sleep. And yes. it's, it's just, I just love, it's just those little, little touches. that. And you I can, love and, the Dudleys, the, the housekeeper and the gardener. Oh my God. They're amazing. They're just like, they, you know, they, they are, they're the, the, I forgot the, about the, I, I reckon I forgot the Dudleys. Oh my God. The Dudleys are like, they're acting as sort of the, the guardian herald, um, yeah. you know, character that warns the other character, you know, don't come here, bad things will happen. But then they're, 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 also, but they're not though. Mrs. Dudley just says. No, that's what I mean. Like they're just, they're in that role, but they're, they're also stretching that role. So, you know, like the, the, Mr. Dudley at the beginning is like, you don't want to be here and I don't think I should let you in and blah, blah, blah. But they're very half-hearted and quite, yeah, it's um, very, I, think, well, Mrs. Dudley, I think very browbeaten gets, about their role. She gets pissed off with the plates. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't touch my plates. Eat off them, but don't do that. But also, oh, the other thing is the food is amazing. Yeah. That, but She's a really but the, good cook. No, no, no but it's, I know she's a good cook, but, but it's just this odd – it's this odd and strange and weird element to the novel that the food isn't just amazing. It's talked about quite a lot yeah. and described at great length. This is one thing Han does do. She, she yeah. Elizabeth Han does mimic that element. And, and it's just, it's odd. It's not what you come to expect coming into a haunted house novel that you're going to get all this talk about how Mrs. Montague absolutely <laughs> loves the food. There <laughs> is great, great like parts of this book that are really almost cozy. Yes, <laughs> you know, like some of the camaraderie and and the the scenes. There's this coziness to it. Well, they're sitting in the lounge room or whatever, that yeah. parlor, and having just these little conversations. It's just it is. It's very. Cozy. But then, as the house, I guess, seeps into them, you get the tensions and the frictions and all of this. Everyone acting at cross purposes. Well, it's because all the cozy bits are undercut. Like the kitchen has three doors, and it's the creepiest thing in the world. Yes. So where all this food is made. The actual place it's made in is weird architecturally. It has three doors. Well, the whole house, like there's, there's. I know the whole house is like that, but that's, but that's my point. Everything that could be viewed as cozy or nice and wonderful mm. has that edge. Yeah, it's it's quite a remarkable book, and like the the effect, I guess you're right. Like Eleanor is targeted by the house. Like when everyone walks in, everyone is kind of on a level playing field. We have a lot of knowledge of of how Eleanor is as a person we've seen her interacting with with the family and strangers and fantasizing about possible alternate lives she could have there's that wonderful bit where she's driving up to Hill House and she passes yes. this other small house with the garden and the stone lions and she imagines this whole life for herself living in that house and yes. she's a really lonely yearning young woman and it's it's really sad to read about her as as a middle aged adult, it's like I oh Eleanor, you well, just want to give her a hug. And... She's not she's in her thirties, but she's very young and naive because she's had to spend so many years not living or building a life for herself, but taking care of her mother. I mean, her biggest back her biggest back of re, biggest act of rebellion is stealing the car. Yeah, stealing. Well, it's half her car, Ian. It's half yeah, her car. It is. <laughs> uh, look, but, but yeah, yeah, so the house kind of like she's the target. She's immediately decided upon by the house that this is the person who the house will focus its its malevolent attentions upon. And yeah, her story ends badly, as it as it must in this kind of a novel. Like she's doomed from the start. So I keep reminding it's myself not- she was doomed from the start. And then I let the Mrs. Montague shtick and all of that kind of, you know, and I thought, oh, it's going to be that she's sent away instead. And then it's like, ah, Jackson, such a good writer. Let's end on that. And because I think we, well, I think I'm, I'm desperate to segue to the yes, Hand. let's do that. Such a good if you if you haven't read the Haunting Pillars, it's not a long novel either, listeners. It's not that long. It won't no. take you much to read. It is. In it fact, is in fact, so it's good. recommended to read it in about two sittings because, I mean, you could read it in one. It's it's about sixty five thousand words. You could so. you could definitely sit down and, and have a long it, night reading the novel. But yeah, it is it is it is so good. Okay. So sixty odd years later. <laughs> <laughs> For re- okay, I mean, let's be, I'm going to be okay. We're going to be nice, but <laughs> oh, 
nothing well, has sounded so sinister since I read the opening of the Haunting of Hill House. <laughs> Sixty years later, as you said, for reasons that aren't entirely apparent to me, and certainly not in Elizabeth Hand's introduction, except for the fact that the state came to her and asked. I mean, look, we can be cynical and we can talk about commercial interests and, you know, keeping an an intellectual property alive and out of the public domain and et cetera, et cetera, but we don't need to be cynical. But but you you (laughs) talked about – okay, but let's go back a step. You talked about the miniseries, which I haven't seen. Yeah. Flanagan obviously took the view that you either either do an adaptation of this book or or Hill House or you do something – that's different, very yeah. different, but feels that it's part of the Hill House overt. Um, and so I can't knock Elizabeth Hand. This Netflix series exists mm. and is essentially trying to do a similar thing. This is where it gets back because I haven't seen the, the, the Flanagan. So I, I'm, 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 I apologise in advance. But it sounds from what you've said that the, the Flanagan had a much clearer vision. That sounds terrible. Where... So it would be, look, yeah, I think so. Um, it would be really easy to to level, I guess, a similar criticism as the Flanagan as we are possibly going to level at the, the house on the hill in that why did the Flanagan movie have to be Hill House? He doesn't adapt the story. He doesn't have four paranormal investigators coming into a house and, you know, being psychologically disturbed and, and well, well, well for, for the people who have commented on my Facebook post, some have said, "Why? Why did yeah. you? Why?" And I think what what the Flanagan series does and does exceptionally well, and does it to the level that Shirley Jackson did it in her book, and this is where it joins to her book so well, is the series is so emotionally rich, and the the characters that Flanagan has built from the characters in The Haunting of Hill House, their their stories and their connections with each other and their tensions and everything, that it it, it mirrors what Jackson is doing with her characters in, in her novel. And the Flanagan series is amazing. And, yes, it didn't have to be The Haunting of Hill House. Again, there's commercial reasons to potentially have a product tied to something which is well-known. Would I have watched it if it wasn't called The Haunting of Hill House? Maybe not. Did I almost not watch it because it was called The Haunting of Hill House? (laughs) Yes. Um, But, again, as with his um, Fall of the House of Usher, it's the respect that the the filmmaking collective had for the source material, even though they weren't making a straight adaptation, is just immense and drenched in their – their series or their, um, you know, whatever they're doing. And it's that emotional pitch that Flanagan accomplishes in all of his oeuvre that he, that I've seen so far anyway. It, it's just phenomenal. It really is phenomenal. You you deeply, deeply feel and grieve for these characters um, in the same way that in the Jackson's novel you really grieve for Eleanor. And unfortunately for me at least with Elizabeth Hand's novel, which is a really good novel in so many ways, I didn't connect with the characters in that same way and I didn't feel like the, the characters had that that level of complexity or intimacy that you could connect with them in the same way, I think, as with the Jackson novel. And I'm kind of left, I think, like you put a comment on Facebook that I hadn't finished reading The, the House on the Hill when I read that comment, but I was actually thinking similar things. It's like why – I don't understand why this is a Hill House novel. But I, but I said on Facebook it's the worst possible take, as, a, as any critical reviewer, to say, uh, why does this exist? It's the easiest thing to say, yeah, for, for a book mm. like this. Yeah. So I wanted – so that's why – because – I didn't want to sit there and go, well, uh, Elizabeth Hand, you, that was a waste. Why, why'd you bother? Um, that, that again, it's it's the worst thing to do. And but but I but I kept coming back to the fact that you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. So one of the things that so Hand is both trying to do something different, but keep enough of the same. And it is such a tight, narrow corridor to swim yeah. in. Like she more or less removes, not entirely, but removes a lot of the architectural anomaly stuff, like the the fact that the floors are misaligned and all that stuff. That's not really part of it. 
And when uh, the thing that creeped me out, the three doors in the kitchen, there are no that's, and I know the house has changed. I get mm. it's reconfigured, but it's reconfigured in a way that it's lost some of that element. And and that felt so pivotal to the Jackson. Again, and someone would go, okay, well, hands done. She's just copied the Jackson. Why bother doing that? And I, I agree, that's my problem. That is, You're that damned is if you do, yeah. damned if you do, damned if you don't. Yeah. And I, and so that was my feeling the whole way through because actually, I didn't particularly like the characters either. And that was actually another problem because the, I liked the characters in the Jackson. The thing that that I loved the most was the reworking of the Witch of Edmonton. To me, that was a oh oh my goodness the the play that's yeah. in so so these four people <laughs> yes go to this house and again there is similar with the Jackson. There's this very long prologue section which is you know so you've got holly who's a who's a writer slash um, well she's not going to be they're going to get another director but she's a playwright um and she has she's had something in her past which sort of you know curtailed or derailed her career and she's sort of just coming back into because she's been teaching so wanting to to produce this play she has her girlfriend nisa who is a singer songwriter who uh, is an amazing singer and she's bringing her in to collaborate on the the script and bring in songs and reworkings of old murder ballads and so on um, and then she's got stevie her friend stevie who's an actor but also is doing a lot of the audio and sound production and then she's got um amanda greer amanda greer who is a, a an actress who's maybe slightly on her her way out the feeling is who may or may not have pushed a guy who may or may not have pushed another actor off a stage at some point earlier on to his death to his death and this might this play is a way to maybe get her career back online as well so you've got these people with the exception of nisa who's very like early career um who've kind of been a bit sidelined because stuff happens with stevie and hand does say and and hand says that the point of that is the self is the self actualization element that's in yeah. Jackson? That's what she's that's what yeah. she's drawing on. Okay. So you know, similar to Eleanor, you've got characters whose life has been disrupted, not of their own choosing, and they're um, wanting to to get back on track essentially. So, yeah. and it's really I find it really distracting. I'm not sure. I can't work out why it was written this way. But you've got Holly's point of view first in person, first yeah. person, and the the point of view of the other characters all written in third person direct. And I couldn't work oh, out I, I, why I could have done that except to maybe prioritize holly's perspective yes. as the truer perspective well, well and also to, to choose her as the protagonist just like eleanor has chosen yeah well yeah i mean sure but... i don't think it, no no i don't think <laughs> no 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 wait wait i don't think it works yeah i i i kept every because... time it flicks back to holly and for because you get it's not like the novel is written in first person and every now and then you get a small third person of, of other someone else it is fairly once you get into it, once you get to all the four people in the house it's fairly evenly weighted between the perspectives and every time it jumped back into first person it's, it it was a bit jarring for me as a reader but again you know I, I I'm not sure why it was there I don't think it really worked but it, that that may not bother other readers um but the thing that was weird for me that didn't quite sit as you know, as a book which is so explicitly framed as this is another Hill House novel, was so much happening outside of the house. The black hairs, the you know, the um, the the, the women who may or may not have been witches. Be, yeah. All, all of that was just it was really distracting. It took away from the house itself and made it seem like well, there's this other maybe this other influence that's there and it wasn't as claustrophobic I don't think no because of that and that that I thought it's not like in the Jackson novel they all stay in the house they do wander around the grounds there is this weird picnic type manifestation thing and and Theo sees something and we never know what it actually was that freaked Theo out so much yeah yeah which she's in a room just screaming yeah it's so it's not like they're in the Jackson book they're all contained in the house the whole time they they do go into the grounds but there is all of all of the malevolence, all of the the weird stuff, and and it's the house. It doesn't yep. seem to be from outside. And I think what Han did when she brought in these other elements was she kind of opened. She like she aired out Hill House. <laughs> you know, she opened the doors and windows and went. There's this other stuff, and it's like I don't. That's not Hill House. Hill House is its own thing. It doesn't need this other stuff you've got around there. Well, because because part of the problem is that the thing that I actually loved about the novel, which is the Edmonton, which is of Edmonton, mm. that also takes starts to take priority over the house. Yeah. 
you know, the possible haunting that um, Holly has in her past. Yeah, it's it feels like Hill House itself in this book got a bit diluted because our focus was elsewhere. But I agree with you that the play that Holly is producing, this, that story and the story around that story just eclipsed the bigger Hill House story that the novel was actually telling. But but it's just so fascinating. And that's partly because Hair goes into so much detail on it and takes up so much of the book talking about it. And the characters love it. Like, like the four characters, that's all they talk about for reasons, obvious for a lot. Got, I was going to say, you've got so much stuff there. You've got, you know, you've got this story about, you know, a, a witch who was persecuted in England hundreds of years ago. This is all, which is true. Which is the, true. Um, you've got Holly working of it. No, she wasn't a witch, but she was persecuted as a witch. So can, I, got, can I say properly, a witch who was persecuted play that was written in the 17th, 18th century, early 18th century, 1700s, yep. about that particular case, of yep. which then Holly is found in a bookstore somewhere, a manuscript of it, yep. and is now reworking. Yes, and bringing in songs, which are themselves reworkings of old of, murder, of ballads. murder ballads. Correct. And, like, at some point I'm, like, reading this, and that stuff was all so good and really, like, off-kilter and you, you didn't know what was happening at some times when they're doing the play readings and that story and the background of Holly and her, the thing that happened with that young woman in her past, whose story she adapted into a monologue that may or may not have resulted in the young woman's taking of her own life. That in itself is like, isn't this where it's like, that is a generator that could have been in any house. Yeah, but this is the thing. So our friends in the Jackson have come for the house. Yeah. As in to investigate the house. The house. Our friends in uh, the hand couldn't give a shit about that. The house is just a great... No, 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 no. no, no, I'll rephrase it. No, no. Your Honour, I'm going to (laughs) rephrase. They care about... The house is... But the house is a means to an end. It's a great space. It's It's a place to be. It's away from everyone. It's cool. That's why they're there. They're not there, speci- they're not there specifically for the house qua house. Okay, they're not there to investigate the house. One ca- bunch of characters are there purely for the house, not about anything yeah. they're doing. Project 100%. it is house, house, house. These characters are not there for that. And yes, I get again, hands doing something different. I get that. Don't yell at me. <laughs> but by doing that, you ultimately dilute what made the Jackson so special. And again, oh, but you're not. But what? But copying the Jacks? Again, agree. Agree. <laughs> but that's the problem. You keep coming back circling this this problem. That that is the problem. And I think it's also one of the the, the main differences. Like the advantage Shirley Jackson had with her novel is you had people coming into a house that they knew or had been told or, or whatever was a haunted house and they're there to investigate. So when things happen, of course they're accepting it because that's why they're there. Yeah. And that's why they stay, because that's why they're there. When Correct. you've got the house on the hill you've got characters who haven't come here because of that who may or may not have some kind of knowledge of it but then stuff happens which to be frank is a lot more explicit in its weirdness than what happens in the haunting of hill house at the beginning and they're going oh well maybe that's not anything bad at all and they still stay like it's it's because they haven't come for that their reluctant acceptance of it feels like it comes a bit too late in the piece for me. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, you know? Absolutely. But also it, it it leads to the, I'm going to say it, tedious element where they're all doubting. Did they see that? Or yeah, that's they what I'm that? saying. Exactly. Yeah. Was this, was this not? And Jackson gets to avoid it so skillfully because that's why they're here. So when yeah, something yeah. happens, exactly. no one is going, oh, was and, that or wasn't that? They're going, oh, look, and, a cold spot. Let's record this. Let's note the temperature. Whereas our characters in in Hill House are like, oh, what was that? Could that have been? Could the hair that came out of the chimney and caught on fire and ran out the front door? Which, could, by the way, is really actually cool. been something that else? That is actually, uh, there are two really cool bits in, in the hand novel. One is the hair coming out of the chimney, which is just ick. Uh, yeah. th- there's something about that. The other one, hilariously or ironically, however you want to say it, is the audio recording uh, that Stevie plays of the characters from the original yes, novel. Yes, and I think. But it's also, well, it's also the problem. Because this, because a hand goes at length to barely mention the nine, the the fifty nine novel in terms yeah. of their characters. I mean, Eleanor is never mentioned. None of them, I think, are mentioned by name except for that mo- small. Eleanor's I, implied. I know, I know. But the point I'm going to there is more references to a nineteen eighties 
couple, but a family that moved in. Yeah. And I don't know if that's a reference to something, but it, like, I should know who those people are. No, I, I, mean, I don't think so. That's something because, that because why would I care about the them? Yeah. Why, yeah, I understand that, but it's interesting how it disassociates. But that scene comes along. And we're back to the Hill House we recognise. And it is genuinely creepy. That scene was, yeah, for me, that was both like, it was amazing and, and just so well written. And even if you hadn't, I mean, maybe especially if you hadn't read The Haunting of Hill House, it would it would be incredibly creepy and off kilter and all of the stuff that Jackson was doing so well in her book. But as you say, at the same time, it was like, oh. This is what this could have book could have been. <laughs> there should have been more of this. There should have more have been not just here's the house from the book, but more of here is the book seeping through into this novel. Yeah. Because I think, and again, beautiful. That's beautiful I am not going to speak for Elizabeth Hand, but if you're going to take a book like this, you need to let it come into your new book. You're doing it. There's there's many reasons why people might write a sequel or an adaptation or a retelling or a reconfiguring, and some of those reasons are very often come from a place of, well, I think this has been missed. So, for example, it is very clear to uh, like a 21st century reader and you know, possibly cl- clear to some people at the time that um, Theo is in a, a, a lesbian relationship. It's not just her housemate who she had a tiff with and left to go to Hill House. So she was clearly in a yep. domestic partnership with another woman and they had um, a, a falling out and she went to Hill House for the summer. Um, and Eleanor is clearly in love with Theo um, and Theo clearly knows this and is sort of pushing her back and go, no, 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 we're not going to come and live together after this. This is just the summer. It's like all of that is is implied in, in Jackson and I think very clearly understood as a contemporary reader. So we don't need to to have any of that. But so you might have wanted to retell Hill House, tell that story, but be more explicit about the relationships and the things and fill in some scenes that weren't in there and so on. Or you might want to write it with a different configuration, but still referencing this story. There's a whole bunch of reasons why we retell stuff. Yeah. This retelling has come from a completely different place. It's not a place where it's a critique of the original book or a reconfiguration of it or or a filling in of gaps that, you know, were in the book that you go, well, that's interesting. Let's explore that part and see what might have happened there. This is completely different. This is like, hey, have the house, go play. For me, it felt like The Haunting on the Hill is is a good haunted house novel. I don't see why it's a Hill House novel and there wasn't, enough like that one scene where you had the dialogue recorded like these spirit voices was like I could not the book have been like that could not have been more thoroughly engaged with the Jackson novel as opposed to just taking the set dressing and making a new play unfortunately I 100% agree with you I just feel that the Jackson novel has essentially been ignored in yeah and 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 again we've said explain why the other problem I have with it and, and as you said it's it's a perfectly fine Haunted House it's novel. really good. There are so um, many I, scenes in it which are fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's, uh, yeah. I mean, I lo- so for example, there are etchings that that you know of hairs and stuff. Yeah. And there's an interesting that it's an interesting foreshadowing of how that works, and then then and plays out in the end. I thought and that the, was what, really the etching smart. that Nissa sees but Stevie doesn't see, and then what happens with that at the end of Correct. like. There's that little the little door the little door the, the little door that Stevie has, which I love. Yep. There are there are lovely unique. It's the haunted house law that she plays with and, and does, but it's the law more broadly. It's not Hill House. Yeah, that's that's the issue. And, and look, I, my issue with haunted house novels generally is the fact that they will play on a bunch of characters who then start, you know, doubting each other and hating each other, and you know, they're friends, but now they're no longer friends, sort of thing. And and and, and that's something I've always found annoying with that genre. And it, mm. and unfortunately, Hand falls into that same. Trap, but then so does Jackson. It happens in the Jackson novel too, but in a different well, except way. Except that in the Jackson, like the the key difference between our characters in the two novels, the Jackson novel, none of these characters before they got to Hill House knew each other. Yeah, so they right? so, so they so. are perfect strangers pulled together for a common purpose, who start to form as humans do, friendships, relationships, fallings out, all of that sort of stuff. Whereas with the Hand novel, they're all people who, I mean. Amanda, the the older actress, less so, but the other three all intimately 
know each other and have done for many years. And they, of course, all know of Amanda Greer and she's, you know, she's quite the presence in the house. Um, so it's a completely different dynamic from the start. But then, as you say, um, the hand novel then lends itself into that situation where you've got ostensible friends and lovers where there does seem to be genuine care for it. For yeah, who then ultimately then turn on each other. And it's yeah. just uh, – I just this is that look this is my own taste. Mm. I just that's the part of the whole trope that just I find dull because you know it's coming and you're just waiting for the penny to drop and yes it does and yeah they don't like yeah and then they all start to backstab each other and and all and they all and all the secrets that they have start to come out and blah blah yeah. blah and it's oh, okay yeah all right. <laughs> and look and that, and and that's not that is not specific to this novel. I have this issue with it. It's a reason why I don't t- tend to read that, that sort of book, but. Jack and I, but you're right. Jack, the way Jackson does it is because they are learning a bit of each other. It's 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 a very different. You're right. It's a hundred percent a different dynamic. Yeah, it's, it's it the advantage much. Jackson has because she gets to have characters who aren't who don't have baggage with each other. They have their own baggage they're bringing to the house, but it's not interconnected baggage. <laughs> Whereas Hand is playing with with characters. Hand could have done the are, same. I mean, yeah. Let's end off base. I don't think you've you've probably not read it, but I have Wilding Hall. By Elizabeth Ham, which is, I think, a novel and novella, also set in a house, and it's a haunted house novel. So, um, I've and it's not great. read it, no. And it's great. So people should read that. Yeah, I, I really love Elizabeth Hand's writing. I haven't read enough of her. She's such an accomplished writer, and she's so she is really skillful at balancing, you know, emotion and atmosphere. And there's there's nothing there's nothing wrong with like the sad thing is there is nothing wrong with the house on the hill. It's a really good haunted house novel it's just it because of how it's framed mm. it just leaves for me anyway and, and sounds like for you ian as a reader it leaves us wanting because there's not enough of the haunting of hill house in the haunting on the hill yeah exactly that's right thank you final point well said and i don't think any honestly it would this is a hard ask for any writer the, yeah, this it feels is, an unnecessary project. <laughs> yeah, it feels like a burden placed on you from from pay, and and it clearly hand took a long time to write it. This was not something she knocked out in three weeks. Oh no, she did a lot of research. She she cobbled together her own sort of plans based on plans that Jackson had sort of drafted herself and and tried to yeah, work yeah. out the house. And, and maybe that's part of it. Like, don't work out the house. Like I didn't have a clear picture of the haunting of Hill House, of Hill House in the Jackson novel, and that, that was, was kind of felt part of it. It felt yeah. like the house was rearranging itself all the time. Correct, which is what I never got that I never got that feeling from the hand. Anyway, look, let's stop there. Let's stop there. So next month you've chosen A Helping Hand by Celia Dale. So I'll say that Ben Peak chose A Helping Hand by Celia Dale. Okay, so because you... Ben Peak Ben Peak read it, yeah, loved it. It's a book I'd heard of. And actually had on my Kindle because Andy Miller from Backlisted had read it and loved it. And I bought it and we both decided that why don't we do it? So we're doing it. Okay. It's an older book too, by the way. I think it was written in the 60s from memory. Oh, I didn't realise that. Yeah, yeah. It's not It's not, It's not. not brand oh, new. I thought yes. it was a newer book sort of no. set Cel- in no, the there's 60s. A whole, no, no, no. There's a whole thing. Celia Dale oh, is a very fascinating – You've got to go listen to a backlisted podcast from about 25 years ago. But um, <laughs> Celia Dale is a very fascinating I had, I have not come across her person. name. So no, no, a lot of people hadn't. I look forward to reading her. Well, the book I've chosen is called Monsters by Emerald Fennell. She, so Emerald Fennell is the... <laughs> I wonder why, Kirsten. Why did you pick Monsters? What? What do you mean? I don't understand where that's who, coming from. Who has a massive salt burn crush at the moment? And Promising Young Woman. Did you read Monsters right after Promising Young Women? I think I didn't not. even – no, no, Ian, you don't understand my okay, excitement. Okay, So Emerald Fennell, for listeners who don't know, is a writer and director of Promising Young Woman, which is a stunning horror movie from a few years ago, and Saltburn, which is a <laughs> one of my favourite movies of um, last late last year. Um, and I didn't even know she'd written a novel until someone posted it somewhere and it's like <gasps> – is that the Emerald Fennell? It's like, oh, my God. Well, now I have a novel I must read. <laughs> so I've not read it, and I'm really looking forward to reading it. It sounds very interesting. Well, you know what? This could almost be the Ben Peak podcast because I know Ben Peak really hated Saltburn. Yes, I was going to say that exactly that. What do you say to the Ben Peaks who hated Saltburn? What do you say to them, Kirsten? I find it really interesting because 
I know, and uh, I'm I've not read the post again recently, so apologies to Ben Peake if I am misrepresenting what he said. But I believe one of the the issues was that the like he thought the he he wasn't there to watch a movie about you know some kind of nice rich people get killed, and it's like I never thought they were nice. I thought they were vile. They weren't like you know cartoon vile, but they were just vile in in the sense of their their wealth and what they did and didn't do with it and the power that they wielded even when it was you know again not like evil villain power wielding but just their ugh, hideous and I also didn't think like I didn't like the protagonist either when when the all the reveal and everything happened it was just it was a a vile horrible movie it was a horror movie <laughs> It's what exactly. it was exactly on so many levels. It is the most. It is the most marmite of films to come out in the last couple of years. At this point. and I was. I loved so, Saltburn, by the way. I thought. Yeah, it was loved it. So there. So I am so there for reading. And Jules, my em- wife, Emerald Fennell's Jules, novel. my wife, who's not normally into this thing, she adored it. Um, I, I'm going to watch it again because I, I would like. I'm hoping it all does hold up well, but I really want to knowing the end, knowing what the story shouldn't you, is. Shouldn't you? Shouldn't you be? Shouldn't you be actually reading our favourite author, Evelyn Waugh? Oh, no, it was a Sunset Morn. Who wrote Bride's Head Revisited? That, 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 either one of those two. I get them confused. <laughs> I get them confused. I should have Googled that. No, it is Evelyn Waugh. It is Evelyn Waugh. You know, you're, so a back, background story to that is that one of the first uh, – I've known Kirsten for a long time, but when the first time we ever mentioned Evelyn Waugh together, I assumed Evelyn Waugh was a woman, and Kirsten has never – Ever let me forget that? Ever. I'm just going to point out that I had like just then when you said it, I didn't even know what the Evelyn War reference was, and I've only like just you saying that now is only. I have not even thought about that for ages. I think you won't let yourself forget it. Is what it is Uh, because you burnt it into my head. You were very (laughs) cruel and mean, and just say, look, I I know, I know you're very poorly read, and that all you've read is Stephen King and Terence Dix novels, and therefore you wouldn't know who this person was. Let me educate you in a nice way. But no, you were mean. You were mean. (laughs) I was much less kind when I was younger. Okay, so let's move on. <laughs> um, so they're the two books, Helping Hand by Celia Dale and Monsters by Emerald Fennell. Uh, looking forward to reading both of them. They will be for March. And I think that brings us to the end. Huzzah. Yeah, huzzah. We are going to try to keep the podcast a little shorter <laughs> this year. I can't promise under an hour, but hopefully not much more. Did you notice I had to change position because the laptop um, was running out of battery? So... Please, you can send feedback by commenting at the website, which is writerandcritic.podbean.com. You can send an email to writerandcritic at gmail.com. And you can sponsor us on Patreon if you can. And our deepest love to all of our patrons. Thank you very much. Uh, You help us pay the rather modest but still significant bills that the podcast has. And with that, Ian, I think we shall wish our listeners adieu. Adieu. It's you. Good. Beautiful. Bye. Shalom. Bye-bye. Bye. Well done. Bye.